Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom What if I told you that there was an underground, global community of badass women all swapping wisdom, witnessing and supporting each other in total reverence, and birthing their babes entirely outside of the medical system? What if I told you that there was a vetted, private, exclusive space where you could access my personal list of radical birth keepers? And what if I told you that it's off Facebook, it's troll-free, and where most of the women on this podcast are hanging out. If you're in alignment with what we talk about here on the podcast, it's a pretty sure bet that our private community wants you in it. We have 11 monthly circles and workshops virtually, and also have a member directory so that you can find women in your local community too. And this isn't just for mothers. This is for the wild-hearted, radical woman who is interested in consciousness raising, questioning the systems that harm us, living sovereign, holistic lifestyles, and wants to create community to guide our way back to healed sisterhood. Go to freebirthsociety.com and apply today. I'll see you in there. On the show, we have my friend Virginia. Virginia's pregnancy with her first daughter was characterized by the Rogram shot, threats of induction, and a last minute transfer from a birth center to a home birth. And though she birthed at home, Virginia shares her anger around being gaslit and made to force push by her medical midwifery team. With her second pregnancy, Virginia knew she was ready to reclaim what was lost in her first birth and birthed her son in total Shakti power. Virginia. Hi. Hey, sister. Wish we were doing this in person. Me too. But we're two hours away at this point. So yeah, happy to have you on. And you know, these, these episodes always feel extra special for me because we're real life friends and I got to know you you know, so well during your own pregnancy, even before you were pregnant and then into, you know, kind of witnessing your, your free birth from afar, getting to talk to you during your birth, and then obviously getting to meet your beautiful son. So I feel especially connected to this, this cool evolution of a story. Yeah. So I'm just happy to have you here. 
Yeah, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me on. And I feel like I haven't shared with you everything about Mira's birth either, my daughter. Mm -hmm. So it'll be fun to like fully flesh Mm -hmm. out the journey. (laughs) Well, let's do it. I'm all ears. Tell us about your, your first initiation into motherhood. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I was really one of the, I was probably the first person I knew that was going through the transition into motherhood. Cause I have always ended up in a weird place on my friend spectrum where I never am exactly in the same life chapter as my friends. So I was friends with several people that um, had not become mothers yet and were maybe not planning to become mothers. And then I was friends with several people who had become mothers like years and years prior. So they had older children. So I never had the benefit of kind of walking alongside a close person who became a mother before I got pregnant myself. So when I got pregnant with my daughter, she was a surprise and was really happy to embrace that and I tend to just throw myself fully into whatever I'm going into, regardless of what I know about it or not. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I immediately said, yes, you know, after taking three pregnancy tests, (laughs) making sure that I was definitely pregnant and just immediately started to steer my life into a direction to support what that meant to be bringing a child into the world. But I was doing that without having a lot of guidance or examples of people that I directly knew that had been pregnant and gone through birth and becoming a mother. So I really felt like I was flying blind and um, really just had no interfacing with the world of birth whatsoever. So didn't know what to expect. That's so intense. And that's the, that's the norm. And that's common. Yeah. (laughs) The average. And it's so, when you really put it like that, it's just like, this is not, this is not the path that we should be flying blind on, you know, but it is the culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I feel like I also had the conditioning that we all do, which is that birth is really painful. Primarily. I feel like that was the primary message that was fed to me um, from media, from the time that I was little. I just remember like images of women like strapped down on beds and basically tied up and like screaming in pain and sweating. And (laughs) it's like always painted as this really upsetting thing to witness and be privy to. So that that is the experience for most women. Yeah. They are tied up and screaming and sweating and being tortured and terrified. Like that's, that's, it's not an accurate description of physiological birth, but it definitely is an accurate description, right? Of the majority of women who birth in the hospital. Ooh, scary. Yeah. And all the depictions I had seen of birth were in the hospital. I have a very strong instinct to my nature. So I, while I didn't know what I wanted for my birth, I never had any inclination to enter into the hospital setting when I was pregnant with my daughter. So I wanted to do a home birth. My partner, Craig, was not comfortable with that. 
Um, and the thought of home birth was really scary for him. So I settled on what I thought was the happy medium, which was going to the birth center where we live. And so we go to the birth center and their model was that every time you go, you're meeting with a different attending midwife because you never know who's going to be there attending your birth, which is really strange. And yeah, so kind of did that run of the mill going to birth center appointments thing also took a birth education class that was specifically for families that were at the birth center. Um, and in that class, one of my most distinct memories is I, I really disliked that class. I didn't feel like I got anything out of it at all. And primarily what I was interested in taking that class for was less about learning birth and more about just having community with other parent people who were becoming parents at the same time, as I thought that would be a really big benefit to going into new parenthood with other families who were on the same page. But unfortunately that class really didn't support community building. But the one thing that I did get out of that class was she showed a video of an epidural and she showed a video of a C-section. <laughs> and that I'm so glad that she did that because it shocked me to the extent that I was like, absolutely not. Like there is no way I am going through either of those experiences. It just solidified my certainty that I would do whatever it took to not let that happen to me and to not make that choice as part of my birth experience with my daughter. So big props to the teacher for showing those videos. A lot of people who do have those experiences don't even know what it is. And also, I think a lot of women choosing to birth in a birth center think that's how they avoid those things, mm -hmm. which is not um, true at all, especially for a first time mom, you know, the transfer rate into those interventions and surgery are incredibly high. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, I don't remember how many other families were in the class. I think there were eight of us total, maybe, maybe, yeah, somewhere around eight. And we were the only ones that avoided hospital birth in that group. That's evil. It's such a scam. Oof. Yeah. Wow. Meaning that all those birth center people transferred. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Woo. Okay. So, so some things that happened during my care at the birth center, you know, I connected with some of the midwives more than others. There was really one that I preferred the most. And so I was hoping that she would attend the birth, but that was really weird to me that I wouldn't know who would actually be there. I noticed strange things. And I think part of this is because I was hypervigilant, like as a newly pregnant woman and as a new, someone becoming a new mom, but I noticed things like they would, like we got a, an ultrasound early on to know what the sex of the baby was. And, um, we had a visit one time where they were referring to the baby as the wrong sex, even though it's like right there on the paperwork, you know, and another time they like took my weight and she wrote down the wrong weight and I corrected her and she was like, Oh, thank you. And it was just stuff like, mm -hmm. I could tell that the staff at this birth center was extremely 
overwrought. I could tell that they were running on empty and that it wasn't a very positive like lifestyle environment for them. And that the the people who were, yeah, exactly. It was like, it just seemed not very supportive. (laughs) And then I did contact a home birth midwife when I was probably about 20 weeks, um, just to explore it. Cause I knew I wanted home birth. I was deferring to the fact that my partner wasn't comfortable with a home birth and I didn't want his stress and his fear to negatively impact my experience. But I contacted a home birth midwife, talked to her, didn't really feel like working with her. So I just stayed in the home birth system because I didn't feel like that was a, a better option basically when I had talked to the home birth midwife. And, and furthermore, in the state that you're in, some midwifery is illegal. CPMs are illegal, but CNMs are legal. So that even more complicates this search if you're trying to birth in the system. Yeah, it really does. I think the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me with the birth center was I'm RH negative and my partner has positive blood type. One of the midwives that I was seeing during an appointment was um, recommending the Rogam shot. And I didn't know anything about it. I'd never heard of this before. So I was asking her to please explain to me what it was, what were the ingredients, what was it supposed to do? And she pulled out her phone and Googled Rogam right in front of my face. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. And she told me that it was a blood product. And I was like, I have no idea what that means. Can you further explain what a blood product is? That's pretty whack. She couldn't, basically the long story short is she couldn't tell me anything about it. She didn't know what it was, but she was very insistent that I needed to take Mm. it. And then when um, I, so I started to get really panicked and I was like, I just don't feel comfortable with this right now. So I, I need to go. And then she said, you're wasting this medicine I'm going to keep it in the fridge for you because I already opened it and you have to come back and take it in the next 48 hours. So go I can't tell you what it is. I know nothing about it, but you definitely need to inject it into your body. Yeah. So, so I went into the parking lot and I had a panic attack. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know what's happening right now. Like, I don't know what this is. And I was just freaked and I went home and I did as much research as I could. And there was literally nothing about what this even was. I mean, what I could find was sort of the, the sales pitch about it, you know, which is that if you don't take this, then you'll have miscarriages forever. Yeah. You'll never, you'll, you'll never be able to have another baby again. So if you might want to have another baby, you hundred percent should take it. (laughs) And, you know, I have no idea what the truth is. And so, but that put me in a place where I was like, well, I don't know if I want to have more babies, but I wouldn't want to restrict that possibility for myself. So I did, I went back in and I took the shot during that, during that, whatever, 48 hour window while the medicine was still good or what have you. So, and, and I regret that too. It's so fucking unethical. 
<laughs> you know, it's so unethical. And it's the, it's the opposite of the, the ethos that doctors and midwives pretend to claim, you know? Yeah. So I continued care there because I just, I didn't see any other good option. Yeah. And then what happened was we, there was one midwife that we never saw during our, all our appointments. And so we brought this up because we were supposed to like rotate and see everyone so that we had familiarity with everyone so that whoever showed up at our birth, we had at least met them and created some sort of familiarity. And so we brought this up and we made sure to make the next appointment with the one midwife that we hadn't yet met. And um, we went in for that appointment and this new midwife, she wasn't a new midwife, but she was new to us. She measured my fundal height and she basically started to create anxiety that our baby was too small. And, um, I was 38 weeks, almost 39 weeks. And she said to us that we needed to go in for an ultrasound to check that the baby wasn't growth restricted. And I really didn't want to do that. And she, as they do, you know, she put fear in us until we agreed to go and get this ultrasound at their overseeing hospital. So, and what she said was that they had just had someone like two weeks prior who had a growth restricted baby. Yeah. That's how they get you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. What are you going to say to that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because we were a no. Of course. We were a no and we were saying no. So. But that's the thing. There is no no. Mm -hmm. There is no no. It's not real. You can't say no. Yeah. No, yeah. that's a, that's so true. That's so true. It's a no until it's a yes, until they coerce you with the dead baby card, you know, in some way, shape or form. Exactly. So predatory. So we went in for that ultrasound and everything was fine. There was no growth restriction. There was no blocked cord blood flow or whatever. Everything's fine. And the technician ultrasound tech made a comment that everything looked good. And then the doctor came in after he like reviewed the results and he said to us, everything looks normal, healthy. Everything is perfect. We recommend induction tomorrow. Of course. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was super confused. And then he handed me a piece of paper that was like some study that was now saying that babies that are induced at 38 weeks have a higher chance of survival. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) Fuck off. It's just like propaganda. It's so insane. Damn. It's like hard for me to picture you in that system. It's so like, it's so (laughs) weird, you know? Oh, and also I want to say just a couple of ticks back about having a midwife you've never met at 38 weeks, measure your fundus and all this stuff. Like having a different... I mean, all the assessments are, are absurd, really, but having a different person assess you every time is even more absurd, you know, because all this stuff is quite subjective, meaning like, you know, someone doesn't understand what I'm saying, like one, one woman measuring a fundus versus another person, like it's, it's a completely subjective 
way to, to measure, you know, how hard are you going to push on the shelf of the fundus, you know, and finding the pubic bone and, you know, assuming they were doing it that way. Like, it's just so, it's all such like weird patriarchal historical nonsense that doesn't like have any place in this, but everything's based off of it. Yeah. It's really weird. It's like magicians, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's really like con (laughs) artists. Yeah. Okay. So that's nuts. Yeah. So you you obviously leave there and are like, what is happening? Yeah, that's exactly it. Is I told I told my partner, you know, this is what he said. And he was like, I don't understand. And I was like, it makes no sense. And so we called the birth center and we were like, this is what they told us. And, and the birth center said, your baby is in the 11th percentile. And if if the baby is in the 10th, you'll be risked out. Of giving of birthing at the birth center. And so you have to get another ultrasound in a week and see if the baby's in the 10th or the 11th. And if wow. they're in the Talk 10th, you'll be risked out. Dressing a mother yeah. who's <laughs> out. So 11th percentile of, of size is what we're That's talking right. about. That's right. Okay. That's right. Wow. And the because the ultrasound was measuring her at six pounds three ounces. Um, and of course, you know, they all know that there's a two pound, um, guesstimate within that. So six could mean eight, but no one is saying that, but they all know it. Yeah. So we were just like, what is going on? This is really weird. And what I did was I was not going to do another ultrasound. And I told that to the midwives at the birth center. And I was like, are you going to risk me out if I don't do an ultrasound? And they said, no, (laughs) but what, so I was waiting to hear back from them. They were like, we'll talk to the board at our overseeing hospital and we'll get back to you with what we think is the best course of action. And I was like, okay, they didn't call us for a week. I, I was almost 39 weeks by the time they called us back. During that time, I reached back out to the home birth midwife that I had chatted with prior. Um, I was on pregnancy Medicaid at the time. So there was only one midwife in the area that did home births that were covered by Medicaid. So I just had a single option for that. So even though I had talked to her before and I wasn't sold because I didn't, I didn't really vibe with her energy. I was like, this is the only option that I have Mm -hmm. if I want to have this care covered, you know? So I reached back out to her and Thankfully, she took us on, even though we were like a week away from the birth. Mm-hmm. So she agreed to um, do a home birth with us and we ordered some birth supplies. I had a lot of people that were staying with us at the time, like friends just kept coming to visit <laughs> throughout October. And there was one friend, there were two friends actually that were living with us in our basement. And we cleaned the whole house and we asked them to leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, I love you. And it's time for you to go. Want to touch on how this affects your relationship? Like, is Craig just mm-hmm. like, obviously this is nuts and on your side or is there still like, is there tension? He, yeah. He was like, this is crazy. And I was like, this is what I've been trying to tell you this whole time. And now, now he could see, you know, but it took, it took all of that. A lot of fuckery. Yeah. It took that to get him to see it. And then he started to see it. 
And then I think one thing I did was I rented, there's a movie called Why Not Home. It's a documentary about medical providers that choose home birth. Okay. And there were a lot of statistics in there that I think also helped Craig to see more of what was going on. Like, for example, I think it was like 30, 34% of births in the U.S. were induced. And of those 34%, like 73% of those ended in the C-section. Only 1% of births happen at home in the U.S. There was some statistics that really spoke to me, actually, and sort of showed more of the picture of what was really going on. I saw that a lot of it was just a business around selling Pitocin, for example. Yeah. 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 So we were scrambling to like get ready to birth at home. And I also got to the point with Craig where I was like, you're not the one giving birth. So you, your opinion really needs to not hold as much weight as I've been allowing it to hold, you know? And I was like, I was like, I've been deferring to your fear of home birth because I didn't want that to impact our situation negatively. But frankly, like you need to deal with your fear yeah, because this is what we're going to do, you know? So that's often what I say to women when they're in a similar situation is I say, what, what runs your household? Like, does, does your partner's fear and discomfort determine your household? And if so, like work with that, think about that. Think about the cost of that. That's a big deal when you can acknowledge, you know, people aren't like conscious of that. It's an unconscious there's so many layers, right? But like so frequently, um, the male's fear and discomfort are running the show. They're running why a woman does or doesn't make money. They're running why a woman, do- you know, like it's, there's so much to that, just that conversation in general. And it's so liberating to just like bring that out of the, out of the closet and really put it in the center of the household and be like, yeah, I am actually basing my decisions betraying myself and basing my decisions because someone else is fearful, fear-based, like, whoa, that, that's gonna, that is going to cost a family something, right? And it often, I mean, in birth, it's quite obvious what it costs. Unfortunately, it costs the woman usually being butchered. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, that's not your end of your story. Cause you woke yeah. up to shit, but like, you know, you would have had a C-section at that birth center because what would have happened is you would have been risked out for sure. I mean, they were already telling you that was what's going to happen. Yeah. You would have had an induction. You wouldn't have been ready to go into labor and you yeah. would have had surgery, you know? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I think it costs a lot. And I'm glad you're speaking to that because what's coming up for me as I'm hearing that is you know, when you're catering to the fear of a person that you're in relationship with, like that relationship cannot be well Mm -hmm. because neither person can be in their authority. Neither person can be in their authority in that relationship. You have to betray yourself at that intersection. And that's what we see women do. And they don't even realize sometimes that they're doing it until they've had the horrible birth and they're working it out and going, Whoa, I totally centered my partner's discomfort. He didn't know what the fuck he was talking about, you know? And, and that, it's so interesting, right? Cause like, this is a really common dynamic. And I, I always, when I work with men, I'm like, yeah, of course you're afraid. Yes, totally. Yes. This is scary. 
no one has shown you the real truth about this. You've never seen a woman give birth in her power. Like, yes, this is scary, but you're all fucking confused about who's responsible for what. And that's what we have to untangle. Right. I mean, it's, it is such like deep, deep entrenched misogyny, unconscious misogyny and confusion around who makes what decisions and how do we support each other? Like you said, to be in our authority yeah, it's just like a massive, weird overstep based in fear. Yeah. But I also, something else I want to say about the Medicaid real quick before I forget is this isn't a critique of you at all. It's it's more like an observation in general that I feel like is important to say. You know, when we, because I see this kind of cognitive dissonance with women a lot where they want to have a home birth, they want a birth that's non-medical, but they also want to use their insurance to cover it. And insurance, it's medical insurance, right? So when when women, let's say in our country, want to use medical insurance to pay for a medical provider, we can't then also expect that medical provider to be some like traditional midwife, right? And it's it's complicated because a lot of those CNMs will present like a hippie granola midwife, it just, it's all like a lot of smoke and mirrors. But I think for us, if we can't say like, birth is not a medical event, but medical insurance, definitely please pay for this provider. Right. But people aren't like laying it out like that. Yeah. But it's a, because the the pickle you just described of the one person that's so common, especially at the end, right. It's like, where am I going to come up with five, $6,000 to have this woman come be with me? Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're scrambling. (laughs) Finally, everything gets settled with the home birth midwife, the supplies are here, et cetera. By supplies, I mean like birth tub, you know, stuff like that. And so I call the birth center at 1230 and I tell them, um, I'm not going to continue on with my care there. And I'm like 41 plus weeks at this point. (laughs) And they say, okay, good luck. See you on the playground. (laughs) It's weird. Yeah. I think it was like, it was a little final dig because I sent them an email just saying all the things I wasn't comfortable with and just, and they were like, see you on the playground. Like the playground um, of life or like, I think, I think like the playground that we're going to see each other in the world. We'll both have kids. Yeah, exactly. That's a weird response. Okay. (laughs) It was funny. It was odd. Um, And then, so I called them at 1230. I was beginning uh, to labor like three hours later. So at the literal last minute, <laughs> I switched to a home birth <laughs> and we had said goodbye to the friends that were staying with us. We had cleaned the house. Like really, I felt that my daughter was just waiting for us to get everything in order for her. You know, like she was like, this isn't what we're doing. I want yeah. to do another thing. And I was like following her instructions. And then I... So I started laboring around like 4 p.m. And then I tried to go to a prenatal yoga class and I was driving there and I like. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I just want to go to one more. (laughs) So I was driving there and then I had like a really intense wave and I I like couldn't drive. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) 
I need to get home. I can't go to this class. So I turned around, I went back home and I just was laboring like through the night by myself while my partner slept (laughs) peacefully. The next morning I was feeling like I wanted some support. So I called or I had my partner call our doula and she came by and she was there for a couple hours and nothing was really happening other than just early labor. And I just wanted her support. Like I wanted someone to be there. So I guess long story short, I want to highlight the things that happened in the labor. I I felt like the um, waves and the opening was really easy for me. And then at one point I wanted to be in the tub. So there were a lot of people there at my daughter's birth. There was the midwife. She had to have an assisting midwife. Hmm. So there were two midwives. And then they also came with a birth assistant. So that was a team of three. Whoa. And then I also had a doula. And then Craig was there and then me. So there were six of us, not including the baby. And I wanted to get in the tub. And so they filled the tub and then I went to get into it. And I said, this tub is way too hot. Like I need cooler water. And I got in, they were like, it's not too hot. It's just your hormones. Your hormones are raging right now because you're laboring. So you can't tell what temperature it is. Oh my God. That is so (laughs) offensive. I hate that. This when I do about the temperature oh my god I hate that when I I didn't even like a real hormonal lady yeah literally that's what was said to me I I didn't even realize how Mm -hmm. angry I was about that until later when I was like writing my birth story I got to this part and I was like typing in all caps totally So, yeah, because what happened was I got in the tub and they, you know, they told me I didn't know it was too hot. I asked them to add cool water. There was a miscommunication because there were so many people on the team. So the person was in the kitchen who was adding the water. So she dumped in a bunch of hot water. And I was like, no, I need cool water. I need cool water. And so they started putting cold washcloths on my head. What a shit show. It sounds like a Monty Python. Right? Like burning you. Literally. So I couldn't tell what the temperature was anymore because I had cold washcloth on my head and shoulders. And then I was in this like boiling hot bath. And, and I was just, I just gave up because I felt like, I felt like the whole thing with my entire pregnancy was I had to advocate for myself the entire time. And I even said to my doula at one point when I was pregnant, I was like, I hired you to be my advocate. Like, I don't, I don't want to be like, fighting everyone at every step of the way. Can you like add help and like advocate for me? <laughs> Cause I was like, it just feels like it shouldn't be like this. I'm pregnant and I'm having to like fight at every step of the way throughout my pregnancy. Which like, obviously we need to say, I know you figure this out later, but like, yeah. no one, we shouldn't be putting ourselves in positions where we need to then hire random women to advocate for us in those systems like the answer is to not enter into spaces where we have to fight or where we have to speak up for ourselves in this exhausting way because that's not really what doulas do anyway like that's a whole nother layer of like fake magic smoke and mirrors 
positions also but it is weird that with six people someone wasn't like she's too fucking hot (laughs) like (laughs) it's kind of weird oh I hate that this is so amazing how you know like the setup can look perfect and a woman can still be invisible yeah totally and it was like I used my voice multiple times. Right. I said said what I wanted and I said what I needed and I asked for it and still it was disregarded, you know? So, and all the six people did, or all the five people disregarded it, you know? So that like really threw me when I was processing my birth afterwards. Like I was like, what, like, what is it in my trauma pattern that like magnified Hmm. that, you know what I mean? So anyway, so that happened. And then, so I was in the tub, I went through transition in the tub, then they checked the fetal heart tones and the baby's going into distress. Mm. And according to the tones, and I was like, yeah, she probably is because it's so freaking hot in here. And, I, and I've been in here for an hour. So I get out and I go out on the deck and I just am like tripping, you know, like I'm feeling so expansive and open. It's just this moment. It's that almost that feeling of being like on a summit, like looking out at at this amazing endless horizon. And then long story short, I am coached to force push for the next six hours. hours. (laughs) So because my labor stopped, I think that my labor stopped because of that whole experience in the tub and what I really needed after I got out and went through transition was I just needed to lay down and like rest sure. and be alone and just chill for a minute. And like, well, that's the thing is your labor didn't actually stop. Labors don't stop. You had a rest period. Yeah. Which was perfect physiologically. That was perfect for you and your baby, but these idiots don't know how to support that. And it's like a, you know, they see birth like a, like a roller coaster. Like once it's on, it needs to be on. Right. Or all these weird terms like stop or stall or all these things happen, but a physiological extended rest at, you know, in and around transition is incredibly normal and common and supportive to mother baby, but you don't get the chance to like reap the rewards of that. Yeah. With these dum-dums. Oh, hate it. Yeah. So I wasn't, really able to rest. And because of that, I was no longer having waves. And because I wasn't having waves, I, there was no energy to grab onto, um, to like utilize, to be able to move into the next phase. So, but the story of the attending team was that we needed to get this baby out right now. So I was coached to open my waters because my waters were still intact. And thankfully no one opened, nobody else opened my waters, but I was coached to bear down in such a way that I could pop my water bag. Um, With my daughter, actually, I was laboring on the on a birthing stool and my waters descended out of me probably like four inches. And it was like this beautiful orb and we have pictures Mm -hmm. of it. It's so glorious. And then on the next weave, the water bag popped. And the story that I was told was that once your water is open, it'll activate your labor again. Mm -hmm. So that's why they wanted me to force open my waters. So the water was open and nothing changed. Like it didn't activate 
more waves. It's all just such, such a lack of trust and, uh, and, and trust for the whole intelligence matrix that's unfolding and, uh, and obviously a lack of trust of like your desires and all of that, but it really shows how much they don't know what physiological birth looks like you know like this idea of forcing anything is so bizarre ugh yeah it's so that's so true and what it led to was i yeah i had to force push my baby out they they were <laughs> coaching me to bear down i had no sensation like i wanted to push whatsoever it got to the point where they kept giving me a homeopathic to overcome fear <laughs> Oh my God. Um, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm oh. not afraid. Like, I just don't feel an urge to push. And you're telling me that I have to, you know, inspired by the supposed D cells of the monitoring. Right. And right. then it ended up wow. that my doula said, sometimes it helps to think about something you're really mad about. So I thought about a, f- a falling out that I had recently had with a friend. Oh my God. And that no. is how I roared my baby no. into the world. <laughs> no. That is the worst advice I've literally ever heard a doula say. Like call anger and, and, and upset in conflict into the room. Damn. <laughs> oh, wow. So... So that is how my daughter emerged was I was, I summoned a fabricated anger. (laughs) Her cord was really short and I was over the toilet because that was the only place that I could like, again, fabricate or generate these sensations of trying to get something to descend out of me when I wasn't ready. So waited for the cord to stop pulsing and then Craig cut the cord and then I was so exhausted that I couldn't even hold my baby like I tried to hold her for a moment and I was just like I I was like catatonic so Craig took her and he was the first one to really like hold her and snuggle her and then they helped me to like move onto the bed and that's where I could snuggle my baby but it was like this really weird thing of not feeling capable of even holding my baby when she first emerged because I was so tapped out from that experience. That sucks. I'd been laboring for 36 hours and force pushing for six. And I did have prolapse after that birth. I was, I was administered an injection of Pitocin because there was so much blood and I was hemorrhaging and the, you know, the and music, they took your baby away. Like, they, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, wow. yeah. There was fundal massage, you know, all the things. So, so that was her birth, and I was super happy that we had a home birth. And it wasn't until I was processing the birth later that I saw the the gaslighting in the bath and put the pieces together, like mm. through my intuition. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about um, physiological birth, but I was able to like weave the story together. Upon and on the spectrum of what you're aware of at that point, that's the best possible birth you can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like this is what women deal with all the time of like, 
but at least I had a home birth. I mean, oh my gosh, like, look at the birth center. Look at all those families that transferred. At least I hemorrhaged in my own bathroom. At least I was abused in my own home. You know, at least, you know, like it's so, so sad and upsetting and dark and twisted. I'm really grateful that you, it like, you know, it like hurts extra, like, what's the word? Like, I feel it more in my body when it's women I know and love, right? Like when I hear these stories, cause like, I know Mira, I know you. And I'm just so grateful that you, I'm picturing your birth video in my head right now. And just that you got to fully do the whole other freedom embodied side of birth. Like, thank God. Yeah. Let's do a quick touch on your postpartum before we shift. So postpartum, I just really went back to work <laughs> with, <laughs> okay. my with my baby strapped to me. You know, I think I took a couple weeks off and Craig took a couple months off because it was winter break and he was a teacher. So he was able to really be there, which was so sweet. Um, and I don't really remember that much about postpartum. I remember we had a meal train and we didn't, I, I like felt scared to request certain foods on my meal train. Cause I was just so grateful that people were going to cook for us at all. And so we got a bunch of like lasagnas. Yeah, exactly. So we got yeah. a bunch of like lasagnas and stuff. <laughs> that was like the last thing I wanted to eat. Oh no. Um, so just a plug for that, like, please put specifications on your meal train yeah. <laughs> if you have a meal train. But yeah, I, I think I, I experienced a huge surge of creative energy and like a deepening and I, I work independently and my work is creative. So I really channeled a lot of that energy into my work. And I was, I was totally in love with my daughter. Um, and I think the only thing to note from postpartum was just the like the fatigue and the exhaustion really continued to build mm. um and I didn't have I mean I had some uh, obtrusive thoughts you know or intrusive thoughts when she was really really little but I wasn't concerned about that that just felt normal to me of sort of part of the initiation of like learning how to care for an infant like I you know mm. thoughts that she would like I would be walking down the stairs and she would like fall out of my arms, you know, things like that, which is, too. yeah, which is totally normal. And, oh, and there was this beautiful moment where I was lying with her in bed and I just had this like hormonal cascade. This was a few days after birth and I was just crying. And because I felt this huge expansion that was like localized just between us, it was like, the same feeling of when you travel halfway across the world, it was like that feeling was available just right there in my bed with me and my baby. And um, it was really gorgeous. But I think the only thing to note from postpartum, because I had a lot of support and we did have some breastfeeding issues that took time to work through, was that I just was so depleted that it really drew away from how resourced I was and that compounded more and more over time. Sure. Yeah, of course. Right. I mean, initiation into motherhood on top of trauma and, and like the, all the forced, yeah. Like it's so stripping versus vitalizing. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. That's well articulated. 
okay, so life moves on. You figure it out. You're nursing. You are mom in it. And, <laughs> and, and what happens next to bring this little, yeah. little to you? Yeah. So part of my postpartum with Mira was I was really trying to suss out what was going on with the Rogam thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that you all had the only resource that I could find that was not just a sales pitch for Rogam. So you all, as in you and Yolanda, I think it was one of your podcasts, the Free Birth Society podcast. So that is how I found Free Birth Society was my research around Rogam and being RH negative as a mom. And I just so appreciated what Yolanda had to say in that episode. And it was more informative, like I said, than anything else that I had come across. So I, and I also listened to the medicine stories before Mira was born by Amber Magnolia Hill. And I think you had an interview on there with her. So that was how I was introduced to the concept of free birth as I was kind of processing what happened in my previous birth. And I became pregnant with my son, um, also without planning. And that was a big initiation for me and my partner. And it sort of helped me realize that I hadn't fully mourned kind of my maidenhood and I hadn't fully, um, I hadn't been intentional about stepping into motherhood and creating family. Mm. Um, So it really took me some time to orient towards that more and like consciously choose that this is the life that I'm building and creating and stepping further into. So there was a lot around that. And then I really just kind of let myself be pregnant and didn't, didn't think about the birth at all for probably the first, I don't know, five months, six months (laughs) of the pregnancy. I just, I didn't really know what I wanted. I didn't know if I wanted to free birth. I didn't have like a certainty of that. Um, because what I was sort of tracking and assessing was that there had been some soul loss for me during the previous birth with Mira. And I was looking at, well, what do I need to support reintegration of that? And I was like, well, I definitely need autonomy because that's a huge piece that I, um, that is supportive for me, but I also want like deep holding too. And I don't want to be the one who like has to hold everything. So that's what I was trying to suss out is like, what did that mean in a birthing environment? What birthing environment could support me having full autonomy and like deep holding and support? Which can only actually happen outside of the medical system. Like it, it can't, like there is no full autonomy. Yeah. Medical midwife. Yeah, that's true. So a friend of mine had recommended an underground midwife that she had recently birthed with and she connected me to her. And what I really liked about her is that she was an elder and she'd had seven kids. Um, She's just a really sweet, like God fearing lady. And I loved that. That's, I wanted like a wise presence there, you know, and who could kind of anchor the spiritual portal. So I agreed to have her on as my birth support. And then I went to the first prenatal with her and her assistant 
was really kind of taking the lead. And what happened for me was they wanted a urine sample, which I thought was super strange. And then they um, weighed me, which I also was disoriented by. And then they asked to do, to palpate. So they asked me to lay down and palpate. And as soon as the birth assistant um, entered my energy field, my whole body was like, no, absolutely Mm. not. Like I, I just recoiled. And I was really allowing my body and my instinct to lead the way in this pregnancy. So I didn't know why that was happening and I didn't need to know why I didn't need to make a story. You didn't like it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It was like, I don't know why this happened, but this happened and I'm going to trust that. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, imagine a world if women just kind of live by, does it feel good? Does it not? Does it feel good? Does it not? Like if, if that was enough to orient, you know, towards your life. Yeah. Okay. And this is what's kind of a joke about this midwife sweet or whatever as she might be, is she still totally just another medical midwife. And it's important that women understand there's no like code for traditional midwifery. There's no like monolithic, um, yeah, like standard of, of these terms that, that people use. She's still, you can look at what she does and how she practices and see where she falls, even if she's not licensed in her state. Absolutely. Yeah. So, cause I had thought, oh, she's underground. We're good to go. You know, <laughs> but the underground then, really, yeah. just means she's probably a CPM that's not licensed because of where the state she lives. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that is what it meant. So, um, I called you and talked to you and you gave me a list of questions to ask about how she practiced. And I also reached out to my friend who had recently birthed with her and that friend was so kind to share her birth video with me. And um, I watched that and I just saw rubber gloves like catching the baby. And that was a no for me. That was all I needed to see. I was like, I don't want rubber gloves touching my baby. (laughs) Yeah. So I pieced it together eventually that while I wasn't totally clear what I wanted the birth to be. I knew what I didn't want to be involved in it. And I didn't want to be surveilled and I didn't want to be pathologized and I didn't want rubber gloves there. So I ended up hiring a birth keeper and she's so lovely. And what I loved was that in our sort of prenatal times, it was times for me to vision about what I wanted. And it was times for me to ask questions and talk through concerns that I had and fears and stuff. And so what I realized was that a lot of my preparation for this birth was processing fear. And for me, that looked like taking baths and just sort of metabolizing fears, like asking myself, what was up for me right then? And then considering that, like what would happen if my baby died, for example, and, or what would happen if if I died, you know, just sort of these worst case scenarios, it really helped me to orient of, oh, well, I would take responsibility. And I don't know what that would mean, or what would happen after that. But that's what I know right now, is I let myself get ready to face whatever was going to need to be faced. And then, as that happened, it just cleared the fear. Like I was no longer afraid of that anymore. So I really feel like 
this pregnancy was a very alchemical process of like cleaning my system. And the other part of that for me was I expunged all media from my space. So I deleted all the apps from my phone and um, I just wasn't interfacing with media anymore because I was really sensitive to noticing that there was a strong, there were strong currents of fear that were in all media, whether it was um, independent or otherwise, it didn't matter. There were just, it was noisy, you know? Mm -hmm. So I really took responsibility for the state of my field and what I was allowing to come into my space and what I was allowing myself to process. And that was huge. That was amazing. That was such an incredible way. I wasn't sure where I was going to birth because I really didn't want to birth at home. And I considered like taking a trip and birthing elsewhere. (laughs) I considered a lot of different options. I did this meditation about like my dream birth and I saw myself in this like canyon in a place like Yosemite or something with like bears watching in the distance (laughs) and elk and I was like that seems amazing (laughs) on some astro plane I'm sure you went there (laughs) exactly exactly and then so I literally looked at Airbnbs and stuff and then I was like no this is gonna be way too much effort (laughs) so I mean you were like term thinking about going to Taos Literally, (laughs) (laughs) literally. So, but I think you're like, it's like the Buddhist, Buddhist story of like leaving to find out he never needed to leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like I needed to do that too. I needed to, I needed to go down into those depths of Mm -hmm. fear. And I also needed to go high into those dreams of, or those fantasies of possibility. And also this was like, not as much about the birth, but like your family has been on the hunt and ready to leave your home for so long. This was like a apex situation or climactic situation of like wanting to be in your next chapter and absolutely not that place yet just for content for people listening <laughs> yeah we'd been in a deep search for place yeah. for two years prior to this and still hadn't found the answer um, that to the questions that we were asking around that yeah so I remember my labor started when we were reading Mira books for bedtime and I had like a really strong wave the, I just loved my pregnancy. I felt so amazing throughout. And that day before I had that wave, I like suddenly felt done. Like I was like, okay, I don't want to be pregnant anymore. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned that to a friend who had just free birthed a few months prior. And she was like, that means it's time. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. And I, I just sort of took it in stride, but it was time because then I had that first wave later that evening and I like set up the birth space and lit all the candles because I thought, well, maybe this will happen really fast because it's my second. And, um, it didn't happen super fast, but, and I had Craig like fill up the tub. And I remember it was the first time the tub had been used. So there was like clouds in the water, probably from like plastic, the plastic mm-hmm. of the tub. And I was like, grossed out by yeah I was like there's chemicals in this totally. <laughs> I guess I could have been like washed out so so I had Craig empty it which he was like hemming and hawing that he like filled it and emptied it and I was like dude suck it up <laughs> but it needed to have that because then the chemicals got washed away which was great 
but I just labored through the night and I got a little bit of sleep. Like I got a lot of sleep, I think between laboring, which was super nice. And then in the morning, I think it was about 6am. I asked my partner to call the birth keeper because I knew it would take her about an hour to get there. So he did. And then I was laboring in the living room and I remember I was having a big wave on the couch and I was like yelling and growling and Mira came out of her room and she was three at the time. And she had two stuffed animals with her, her, nar- her narwhal, Narla and her monkey. And she was going through a phase where like 20 times a day, she'd say, can you make them talk? <laughs> and so she like came out she like saw me going through a wave and she just came over and was like, can you make them talk? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm busy. <laughs> and she was like, why are you yelling? And I told her, because the baby is coming. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in an experience right now. And she got really excited. And then I wasn't sure if I should send her to her preschool or not, because she and I had watched a lot of birth videos, free birth and home birth videos to prepare. And I decided that I didn't want her to go to school and I wanted her to be there. And then when the birth keeper got there, she basically just played with my daughter like the whole time. So I was really laboring by myself. And I, yeah. yeah, I want to take a beat there to talk about your choice to include this woman and like what your kind of desires were of that. And, you know, I would imagine she's got that, like, I mean, I know her. Right. And so, and she was like in our, in our extended birth community here. And so I would imagine she provides that like sweet, grounded, little sister, helpful energy because she's not older than you. She's not the like old wise woman. She was a very, 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 very new, you know, maybe has attended one or two or three births outside the system. And I think there's, there's a, there's a real like sweetness in that, that like there's, there's no way there will be a hierarchy, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, versus like yeah. hiring an elder midwife or something, you, even if she is skillful to not project that you still would just to some degree, you know what I mean? And by you, I mean, anyone. Um, yeah, no, that's so real. Yeah. Because part of what I assessed about who I wanted to be there is I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to be at risk within myself of like projecting my power or my authority on somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So we'll um, talk about that a lot that like, she only wants women essentially that are like, this is not true for the woman you chose, but like that has no birth experience because she doesn't want any confusion around that, which yeah, makes a lot of sense. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, that was huge for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So she shows up, she's playing with Mira. She's playing with Mira. I'm just on my own doing my own thing. And I'm enjoying that. I'm just so tuned in, you know, to my own experience. And then, um, there reaches a point where I am, I'm, I can feel that I'm fully open. Nothing is happening in terms of descent. And this is where things kind of got weird when I was having Mira, right. Was like this, that transition into the pushing Mm -hmm. phase. So I started to feel like I was losing myself. Like my consciousness was sort of getting pixelated. (laughs) And so I was like, I, I need, I need something. And, And I could sense that this is where I felt like I had some soul loss in the, 
last experience. So I asked Craig to call you because you had said, my door is open. You can call me. And, um, so I, I think, yeah, Craig called you and you asked how the labor was and if the waves were nice and strong. And I said, yes. And I, I told you that I could feel that I was fully open, but the baby wasn't descending and I wasn't sure what to do. And you said, well, there's nothing to do. Your body's going to do it. Do you feel like things are at, like, do you feel like you're resisting at all? I think that's what you said. Do you feel like you're resisting at all? And I said, I don't know. I, was, I don't know. I'm upside down. I, don't know. <laughs> I was like my, you know, I was having yeah. pixelated consciousness. So I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and um, you said, just let it be a 10. Just let it be a 10. Let it go all the way. The It's going to be more effective if you let it be more what it is. And that was exactly what I needed to hear. So we hung up. Also, I remember something about, because this is so common with second time moms, they get all tripped up about this descent thing. And then the baby's born two seconds later. Like I've had (laughs) so many moms call me and be like, the baby's still high. And then literally five minutes, 10 minutes later, be like, (laughs) so I I said something like that, but I don't really remember. I I remember it was like right before we started RBK in the spring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were, you said something, I don't remember, but anyway, I remember feeling for the head and I could feel that the head was like up, like it was Mm. not, it didn't feel close. So we got off the phone and I went back into the tub and I told my um, birth attendant, I was like, I, I need some support now. And so she came in and that felt really good. And I just went into this like deep yin, like still point. And then when I came out of that with the next wave, it was like this lightning bolt shot through me and my water bag. Yeah, Yeah. it was amazing. And so my water bag popped and and my attendant was like, I think your water just broke. I was like, I know. (laughs) And then um, I think Craig, oh, and I said, get Mira out of here. I don't, I can't have her in here anymore because she was pulling my focus and I just needed to go like all the way in. So Craig got her sorted out with my parents. They came to to get her. And then I grabbed Morgan's hand on one side and Craig's hand on the other. And the next wave was like this primordial like storm that just tore through me. And it was the fetal ejection reflex. And it was incredible. It was like my whole pelvis was open and it, it was just like a, I don't know, like this unstoppable movement, you know? And I was like, ah, (laughs) and then I put my hand down to feel my Yoni. And it was crazy that how it was like, it was like a flower, like blossoming open. And I was just like, like so much electricity and power was just like moving through. And I didn't know this, but the head was only partially out. And I just, where I was at this moment was because I had force pushed my daughter, I was determined not to push unless I felt like I needed to push. So I just was waiting kind of for like the, for my body to like do whatever it wanted to do and needed to do next. And so the head was partially out and I was just sort of waiting and feeling every teeny tiny micro movement as like shocking, you know, and kind of intense. And I felt him turn and 
it was just this incredible sensation where I was just like one with him as he was turning and turning and turning and turning. And once his turn was complete, I just stood up and like finally felt this feeling of wanting to kind of bear down just a tiny bit. And so I I bore down and he just like plopped down into the water and I picked him up and I grabbed him and I said, bring Mira back. (laughs) (laughs) So from the time that I had talked to you on the phone to the time he was born, it was 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It was like exactly 10 minutes. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was incredible. Video is one of the best, one of the best, because it's exactly that. Like you can see the fetal ejection, you can see the storm, you can see the electricity. It's like Shakti. It's just totally embodied. Mm, So good. And the lighting was so perfect. It was just afternoon. So we were in the sun's rays. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And so how do you heal and who are you? after that. Yeah. So I feel very renewed from that experience. I feel, yeah, I feel like that exhaustion was remediated a lot. Um, and the other piece to that was because I, um, I knew I didn't want to do postpartum in our house because we had so much sensory disturbance at, at our home. And that's why we were trying to leave for the two years prior. So I booked an Airbnb in the country Um, where it was super, super quiet. And I just slept so much. Like Mm -hmm. I would wake up around eight probably and like have breakfast and then go back to bed for two or three hours. And then I would get back up for like a a couple hours in the afternoon and then go back into bed again. So I was deeply exhausted, Mm -hmm. but I just let myself rest for like four weeks and it was so needed. Craig was working a lot. um, So that was really hard because that was very different from the previous time. But his mom came and stayed with us for two weeks and she's like BFFs with Mira. So they, Mm -hmm. so Mira was kept well, well supported and occupied by his mom. And then my mom stepped in after that. So we had a lot of help. And it was kind of ironic because he was born in March, you know, so that it's like spring. So you're supposed to be kind of coming out, but it was like a deep, deep rest, like before that coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So I, anyone that I talk to now, I'm like, do not get out of bed. (laughs) I'm like, literally stay in bed. Like, why not? You know? Well, yes. And also there is another part of the spectrum where when a woman in, you know, let's say in her first birth has a really rejuvenating birth, she doesn't need the same amount of. Yeah. That's so true you know, like you were doing repair on such a deep level and that's not necessarily required for every birth and every woman. And so I see the other end too of women being like, especially with their first births, you know, if everything is great, being so alive and vitalized and um, full of life and restfulness, not that they should go like run or something crazy, but it's different. they don't need to hibernate, you know? Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, that's true. And as someone myself, that it's just hard for me to rest. Yeah. And, and I see that a lot, you know, with the kind of most of the people that I know that, um, 
Just yeah. assume you should. <laughs> just the magic, the magic of deep yeah. rest mm-hmm. um, was so nourishing. So I, rec- I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I highly recommend trying it and seeing if right? it's for you. <laughs> My sister one time said to me, what if you rested for an entire year? And it like made me angry. <laughs> yeah, I know, and right? I was like, what do you, do? who do you think you are? But I, I've been ever since I've thought about it, like, what if, huh? What would that be like? Anything else you want to share before we wrap? I, I don't think so. I think just the best preparation is to like be centered in yourself and in your body and your instinct, you know, I think, yeah, there it's so much more powerful and magical than we even know. So seriously. And let your relationship follow that, right? Like that's, that's actually the, the compass or the North star for us, right? Is to, is to know who we are, to be centered, to be connected. And everything that ripples out from that is, you know, what comes back and is, is ours to have, (sighs) but it takes quite a bit of unraveling. Yeah, a lot of a lot of conditioning to clear. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. Love you too. So proud of you. Thanks. Your baby's so cute. He's seriously the best. He's so handsome. (laughs) Oh, and how can women find you um, in New York? Yeah. My website is virginiarosenberg.com. My Instagram is Virginia Rosenberg. And I'm an intuitive astrologer. So check her out. Yeah. Look me up. (laughs) And that's it for today. My sisters check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, the complete guide to free birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honoured. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension, I will fly and bring her back.